Sometimes in life we just suffer. Sometimes it's from being totally withdrawn. Or so much stress that we are totally anxious. Or so tired that we are totally burnt out. But our current position is not our final destination. No, indeed. There's hope. So whether it's your personal life, your career, your relationship, your business, or your job, we say there's reason to believe again. And we present from Andy's personal development, the breakout room. It's the place for health, happiness, prosperity. Stay tuned for more. Hi my wonderful people, this is Andy of Andy's Personal Development and we are currently live in the breakout room. Welcome to this amazing program where we deal with the aspects of health, happiness and prosperity. Looking at the lives of wonderful and amazing people who have gone through some stuff but have made some tremendous changes in their lives and our guest on this afternoon's program is no stranger to success and her name is Dana S. Diaz, the voice for victims of abuse. Dana is a wife, mother and author of the best-selling book Gasping for Air, The Stranglehold of Narcissistic, Narcissistic Abuse. I got that right. <laughs> Dana has had lifelong experience with narcissistic abuse beginning in her childhood. So, without further ado, let's introduce our special guest to the breakout room, none other than Dana S. Diaz. Hi, Dana. How are you? Welcome to the breakout room. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Okay. It's great to have you here. So we're going to immediately put you on the spot and we're going to ask you to tell us about your childhood days growing up as a young lady. We want to start with laying the foundation oh, and, yeah. and we're going to get to all the juicy stuff after. So <laughs> as much as you can remember, as much as you can recall, and I'm sure it was fascinating. Tell us about the early days where you grew up as a young lady. Well, it's a, it's always a long story, isn't it? Um, but yeah. you know, the, the, I kind of had a hard time before I even got here in this world. Um, my mother was, um, you know, pregnant as a teenager unwed and it was during a time when it wasn't acceptable. Um, so she suffered a lot of ridicule and criticism because of it. Um, and so obviously that kind of set the stage for me coming into the world. Um, she already had resentment towards me and, and didn't even want children, I don't think, because right after I was born on her 17th birthday, she had her fallopian tubes tied so that she couldn't have any more children. Um, so, you know, there was always this emotional detachment from her, but I still had my grandma and my great grandma and my uncles. Everybody was very loving um, towards me and very accepting. It was only with her that I felt this, you know, disconnection that a mother and daughter should have. Yeah. So 
you know, since I had everybody else's love, it was okay. I was fine. I, I mean, I, I have to say I was pretty happy. You know, we didn't have much, but we didn't need much because we had each other. And, and really, mm -hmm. I mean, I like the Beatles song, all you need is love, right? So <laughs> everything was yeah. good. But then my mother decided she met somebody and she was getting married. Um, I had not really liked this person from the time she started bringing him around, mm -hmm. but I was just a kid. What did I know? Couldn't put my finger on it. But yeah, once yeah. she took me and we went to move in with him, um, that's basically when my life took a big left turn that uh, I wish it hadn't taken. But um, he was, and I didn't know this back then, but he was like the king of our all narcissists, just wow. very... Uh, I mean, he's still this way, just one of these people that he's the best. Nobody can tell him anything. And he has to have all the brand name, most expensive. If somebody else gets something, he'll go out and get a better one. You know, one of these people just yeah. very bragged about everything. And, you know, of course, my mother was significantly younger than him. So looking back, it's no surprise he went for this much younger, very attractive woman because you know, he was, he was no Brad Pitt. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so, Either way. Um, my mother worked a lot, um, and still was very detached from me, but okay, fine. She left me with him a lot though. And that's where the problem started. It mm. started little things like just like he would verbally just attack me out of nowhere, yeah. you know, and tell me nobody ever wanted you. You shouldn't even be here. Nobody's going to love you. Your mother doesn't even love you. And this was all, all the time. And then it was, you know, when I would stand up for myself, cause I was a fiery little peanut, yeah. you yeah. know, I would say, don't talk to me like that. You're not, you're not my father. You're not allowed to say those things to me. Then he would start gripping me like either on the arm or sometimes sometimes I'd be running away from him or crawling away if I was on the floor and he'd grab my ankles, just gripping me too tightly to where I mm -hmm. had hand marks and bruises. Yeah. Um, and then as I got older, you know, we moved into hitting me with things, um, slapping me, uh, hitting me a little too hard to where I went to school with marks on me. Um, and bruises that I had to excuse, you know, with random things that I could come up, you know, I walked into a door, oh, I must have tripped and fallen at home somewhere, because it was embarrassing to be taken out of class, taken to the nurse's office, and they, what they do if they, you know, have to report something is they take out this piece of paper with a general outline yeah. of a human body, and they start having you take your, you know, pull your sleeves up and your pant legs and they mark on this paper where you have marks, bruises, anything of concern. Um, and yeah. this happened a lot. But then by the time I was much older and a little mouthier standing up for myself and using language that I hate to say it probably wasn't right, but I was so angry that it was still going on and all these things he was telling me, I, I was, you know, not using not the nicest language towards him, then it would get me worse abuse physically. You yeah. Know, to the worst thing that happened was being strangled <laughs> to the point where I was blacking out. And I honestly thought I was going to die that night. And then once I, you know, was able to kick and, and 
kind of wrestle my way out of the situation. You know, I was thrown down a half flight of stairs and I ran out the door. But unfortunately, the next day at school, the police came, showed up, you know, and I was supposedly reported to be at not so much as a runaway, but that I had left the house and that I was difficult. You know, they created this whole story around me that mm -hmm. they just didn't know what to do with me. Um, and nobody believed me. Unfortunately, I had people at school that believed me because they had seen over the years, you know, what was going on. But yeah. there was no solid proof. And child services did an investigation. But of course, the neighbors, the people that worked with my mother and stepfather, everybody, you know, said kind things about them. Oh, they're so generous and they're wow. charitable and they're so wonderful. And, oh, no, it must be the girl. She must be lying because, you know, they would never do that. They're yeah. not those type of people. Well, yeah. they, they were and they did and they still are. So um, it is what it is. I had no choice. I was there. Um, but the second I was 18 years old and could leave, I, I walked out on my 18th birthday. It was my wow. mother's birthday, too, because I was uh -huh. born on her birthday. But yeah, while yeah. they were having cake for her, they didn't have cake for me, just for her. But <laughs> I just walked wow. out of the house. Wow. See you later. Yeah, Dana, this is an amazing story of trauma. And I'm thinking, were there any other family members, somebody that you could have turned to, you could have shown the bruises, the proof, speak with, have some form of relief? You, you spoke about just someone being at the school that kind of supported you, but more than that, you sounded mostly like you were on your own, basically. Yes. Where did you get the strength to deal with all of that? I have no idea. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> when you're a victim and other, if anyone's listening that is a victim of any kind of a abuse, uh, domestic violence or abuse, yeah. It's just you never you you have a hard time telling people because like when I did speak up, finally, nobody believed me mm. because a lot of the time the abusers, you know, I always joke that they're not running around on the streets in public looking like Chucky with a butcher knife yeah. and crazy hair and yeah. striped yeah. sweaters. These are people who are, you know, upstanding members of the community. They're in your church singing hymns. They're at you know, at the library on the board of directors of this and that, they're on foundation, but you know, these are nice people. They're the moms who bring cupcakes to the t-ball games. These are, <laughs> you know, nobody usually mm. knows, but there are people that can see the signs. And obviously yeah. in a school situation, when I'm showing up with bruises and hand marks all the time, and I'm kind of withdrawn because, yeah. I mean, yeah. let's be real, the, the reality of it was as much as I knew it wasn't right um, to receive either the physical or verbal assault, after a while, when all you have is that negativity around you, you start to internalize it. Mm. Um, did yeah. I want to? No. And I would tell myself, no, I'm better than this and I'm stronger yeah. than this. But when somebody and, and my mother was just looking the other way, that mm. was the other thing yeah. and sometimes contributing to it. Yeah. So how was I supposed to believe I was anything more than nothing? Because that's how they made me feel. Yeah. I was not supposed to be here. Nobody ever wanted me. They didn't even want me. I mean, he would even tell me all the time he shouldn't have to pay for my food and clothing and shelter because I wasn't his child. So I always felt like a burden, a bother. My existence just, 
was bothersome in itself, it's a terrible thing to feel. So it was hard for me to even connect when I couldn't even connect with the two primary caregivers in my life. How was I going to go to school and connect with other people? I didn't feel like I had anyone to confide in. And I had a hard time making friends because I had a hard time trusting anybody. And that was the other part of it. But no, uh, people never speak up because you're afraid that if somebody doesn't believe you, you're going to go home and your abusers are going to find out that you said something about them and then you're going to suffer even more. So you learn to keep your mouth shut. You just go along with it and kind of keep, you know, I used to put my hair in front of my face a little bit, you know, and just kind of hide and, you know, droopy head, slumped shoulders and tried to just kind of keep to myself and the couple of friends that I had, you know, it's all I could do. Wow. So there are two things really that I want to focus on. But the first one is looking back now, Dana, especially from your, your mother's perspective, she being the one that brought you into the world. How do you feel towards her now, looking back? after all this time and and really fully understanding that she just wasn't there for you how do you feel about her now in this present moment it's taken i'm gonna be 48 in a month i it's taken me this long uh, honestly up until about last year most Mm -hmm. of my life Mm -hmm. to come to peace with it yeah um to realize that you can't force any person in your life, no matter who they are, to be something that they're not. Um, My feel, we have no contact. She does not want anything to do with me. So we we Mm -hmm. don't have any contact at all, no relationship whatsoever. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, it's hard, but I've had to come to peace with it for my own sanity because I'm understanding now after a lot of therapy and a lot of introspection that she was burdening me with her mm-hmm. shame and her regret and her unhealed wow. trauma from her childhood, all these things. She yeah. obviously had some issues with my biological father um, uh-huh. as far as their personal relationship. Um, but she put it all on me and I had been carrying it in my heart, the burden of that and the responsibility of it that shame mostly uh, for my whole life. And once I was able to tell myself, you know, it's okay to let it go, like it's not easy to let it go. But, you know, for me to say, I don't have to feel what she felt about me, it's okay for me to feel like a valid, worthy, deserving human being Mm -hmm. after all this time, despite everything she made me feel, I'm at peace. There are people in my life. I have the most amazing godmother and my grandma is still with us. And she's, you know, they've both filled that mother role for me. But do I wish I had my mother? Yeah, of course. But my mother doesn't want to be my, she wants to be my brother's mother, just Mm. not mine. So, wow. You know, so there's a little anger there, but you know, I don't want to live my life angrily. You have to move on. I'm just giving you an applause there because your song's so clear and that process of healing means that you would have embodied it and it has made you a much better and stronger person. Also, 
Having been through the things that you have been through and you are 48, you still look wonderful. So oh, thank you. that's great. That's really great. <laughs> the second thing is, Dina, you said you left at 18. And what happened after that? Where did you go? How did you find yourself after that? Well, I had a boyfriend that was older and had an apartment. I had friends that went to college, but they'd come home. So I kind of just stayed a couple days here, a couple mm -hmm. days there, wherever I could yeah. um, until my boyfriend and I got an apartment together. But I just, I, for me, it was just, I had to do what I had to do. I mean, yeah. there were a couple nights I slept in my car at the train station. Mm. I, I did not want to go back into that house because, you know, living in a situation like that, you know, I've even been asked so many times, like, you know, it must have been awful to go through the physical abuse. And it was, but it was the verbal abuse. It was yeah. having, you know, the physical stuff, the bruises healed. And, and I'm not saying that physical abuse is not terrible. I've heard some horrific things that people go through, but I could get over the slaps and the hits and the grabs and, and, and all that. But the, the verbal stuff, if I didn't have to insert myself into that situation, there, there's no way in heck I would. I, I yeah. wanted to avoid it at all costs. Plus, I did live in so much fear in that house. I couldn't sleep at night because every tiny little creak or tick or footstep or anything, you know, I was like, hyper alert because I thought somebody was coming for me. Something's going to happen. So I, I was always on edge and it's so hard to live that way. It's so sad to me though, that even in my car at the train station mm -hmm. out, you know, where anybody could have broken the window and done God knows what I felt yeah. safer. I felt okay. safer. Yeah. But to this day for me to feel safe, I, I have to walk around at night before I go to, I have to close doors, lock everything up, make sure every, you know, mm, yeah. it's just something that stays with you. But then yep. the problem is after, you know, this childhood of mine, I think it, well, I know it primed me for, you know, my first marriage. And I was with that man for 25 years and that wasn't a whole lot better, unfortunately. Wow. Okay. So I want to go down the road of looking at the book that you wrote and what fascinates me is the title, Gasping for Air, The Stranglehold of Narcissistic Abuse. Yes. How did you come up with the title and what inspired you to actually write? Well, I'm going to be completely honest about the title. I didn't even come up with it. I wow. had about three notebook pages full of titles and the publisher didn't like any of them. So I said, I named my cat Kitty. So I apparently cannot name things very well. <laughs> so I said, if you all have a better idea of what to name this book, and somebody at the publisher's office, um, just somebody who works there, came up with Gasping for Air. And we all said, oh, that's it. Ah, that's the title. Wow. Yeah, so yeah, obvious. Yeah. But where, what <laughs> it alludes to um, and where the, so where this book came from is it, it's about my 25-year-long relationship and marriage mm -hmm. um, that I endured with an abusive narcissist yeah. um, that was very much like my stepfather, but hurt me in so many other ways. And yeah. by the end of it, I was living in my basement. 
um, for my own safety and protection. And I was scared for my life because he did, he actually even had told the neighbors he was going to kill me and he was hmm. making threats on his life and mine. So I was a little concerned, um, yeah. reasonably so. So I started keeping a notebook of just anything bad that he said or what that happened, if he texted or emailed something. Mm -hmm. As I, if something happened, I was afraid he'd make it look like an accident or yeah. justice would never be served. Um, and this was also, it, this all happened during COVID as well. So we mm -hmm. were stuck in the house together um, and I had no way out. I couldn't even file for divorce because the, the courts were closed. Yeah, so yeah. Um, I kept this notebook hidden under the cushion in the basement sofa um, where I stayed down there. And just one day it just, kind of came to me that, you know, I, I know I cannot be the only person going through this. Um, I had actually developed a lung disease. That's where you hear the scratchiness yeah, yeah, in my throat. Yeah, yeah. That's this lung syndrome that I developed. Um, I went through over a year of testing with different specialists because I had become very, very ill towards the end of mm -hmm. my marriage. Um, mm -hmm. And Mayo Clinic actually discovered that I had had so much cortisol, which is a stress hormone yeah, running yeah. through my body for so long. They, I remember the doctor saying, you must be living in so much fear. Mm. I said, I, yeah, I'm afraid for my life every yeah. day. <laughs> and <laughs> he said, well, all that fear, all that cortisol caused my body to think it had to eradicate yeah, something. So yeah, it was the yeah. white blood cells had dropped. I became autoimmune. My organs all stopped functioning pretty much, except for my lungs and my heart, which were barely able to keep up with each other. Yeah. But um, I developed the lung syndrome um, as a result. Doctor says it's like having COPD and fibromyalgia all at hmm. the same time, but wow. it is caused by high levels of stress. So I just, I have a degree in journalism that I never used because my ex-husband did not see fit for me to pursue a career in journalism because that might have made me financially independent or given me some sense of achievement and joy that I was not allowed to have. Um, so I didn't do that. He actually had me um, scrubbing toilets, cleaning houses with one of his friend's wives for a while mm -hmm. in wow. a little small town that he had moved me to away from everybody and uh, everything we knew. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I thought at the end, I, I'm like, I don't think people understand that you think you're staying in a situation for your kids or, you know, because of whatever money or whatever, religious reasons, uh, personal reasons, family reasons, but it can kill you. I don't think yeah. people get that it can actually destroy your body. Mm. Um, so when the doctor finally said, you know, your body is actually shutting down, I mean, I couldn't even tear toilet paper off the roll. I couldn't pick up dryer sheets. I couldn't hold anything. Everything was just, nothing was working on, in my body. Um, I just decided that it had to be done. It had to be done. And I was going to write this book because I knew there were other, you know, women and maybe even men too that were suffering or that if I could help them understand what the potential consequences of staying in these situations would be, then maybe I could help somebody before they ended up with the lung disease that I have or with autoimmune conditions or any other of the physical symptoms that come with, you know, the mental aspects of this, because it, it, at the end of the day, they can say it was stress. It's a stress hormone that did this to me, but it was the fear 
that was instilled in my head by the verbal abuse and the manipulation and the gaslighting and the financial drain and all these other things that were done to intentionally harm me. Yeah. Dana, your story is so hard touching and moving. And my main concern here is when you get into a space where you have the opportunity to speak to people and you're sharing with them, how do you feel knowing that this is not something that you just studied? Hats off to you because you did journalism and psychology, but you are sharing from the heart because it is real. Your experience is real. It's not a story that you're narrating. But you get the opportunity, like in book talks and so on, to speak with people, mm -hmm. speak in engagements. How do you feel delivering that information to them and basically being kind of exposed? I was very, very nervous yeah. when we first went on this venture. Honestly, the day that the book was uh, going to be published, uh -huh. um, the way publishing works for those don't, that don't know, I mean, there's months and months that go into it, but on the day you decide to publish it, it's just somebody hitting a button in a certain program, you know, on the computer and it's published, it's yeah. officially out there. Yeah. And before they hit that button, I was panicking. I mean, I, wow. I, I was like on the verge of a panic attack, honestly. I, I was sweating, my heart rate, my heart was just beating. I was nervous, I was out of breath, and I thought, should I be doing this? Do I wanna do this? What if there's a backlash? Um, and even my first book signing um, was the same day. And uh, <laughs> I had a friend who saw an ambulance going right past the bookstore where I had mm -hmm. the book signing just as she was arriving and she yeah. came in and she was so relieved to see me because she mm -hmm. said, Oh my gosh, I thought that wow. I thought, I thought yeah. somebody yeah. showed up and something happened. But yeah. you know, the thing about it is when I, as I'm going through this, I'm on podcasts, I'm meeting people out in public. There are so many people. It makes me so sad to know how many people are relating to my story. Yeah. But it makes me that much more motivated because I know how important it is for somebody to to speak out for all of us because I needed somebody when I was a kid. I needed somebody when I was in my former marriage somebody to just stand up for me and say this is wrong i mean even after everything in my former marriage when we had two domestic violence situations after the divorce yeah. i went to court for an order of protection and was denied twice wow. Wow. twice because the judge didn't see that i was in danger after mm. a knife incident and a gun incident and one involved my son i just <laughs> I didn't know wow. what else to do. The system was not working in my favor. So I think attention needs to be brought to these things. And I don't want to be one of those people to sugarcoat it. Is my life wonderful now? Yes. But there's always that, you know, rear view mirror that I kind of glance back at. Like, what mm -hmm. if, what if something creeps up on mm -hmm. me that I'm not seeing, but yeah. somebody has to take a stand for people and I'm willing to do that. Um, I'm, I've, I've been exposing myself left and right. So uh, it is what it is. And I've gotten a lot of thanks from people and I'm not doing it for the thanks. I'm just yeah. glad that um, it's serving a good purpose. And honestly, that good purpose makes me feel better. So if somebody were to take issue with me and, and get 
their revenge, so to speak, then so be it. I think it would be obvious at this point who it was. And at least my life wasn't for nothing. So that's where I stand on that. Yeah, I appreciate that, Dana. I appreciate your sharing. And I just want to share something. I just want to show something and get your hey, feedback. Hey, everyone, it's Dana Diaz. I am the author of Gasping for Air, The Stranglehold of Narcissistic Abuse, which is being released on Tuesday. Um, ironically, I just had to see my ex, who I am no contact with. And so um, if you are a victim of domestic abuse or understand what a trauma bond is, you can understand like my face and like how I'm feeling right now. Um, I almost have no words and for a writer to have no words uh, is unusual. Um, but I'm definitely feeling it. I almost felt bad um, because he comes off so nice and funny and charming and he had an audience, but it still affects me. After 25 years, it still affects me. Wow. Dana, here's the question that I need to ask you. How do you tell people, what kind of advice do you give them as to how they should deal with that person, the ex or the former person, who was responsible for taking them through a period of their lives that was really devastating, full of trauma, narcissistic abuse, stuff like that. What's the best layer of advice you could give them as to how they should manage themselves in dealing with that person? Well, no contact is the best. Um, uh -huh. You know, I'm very fortunate that my son is grown and, you know, we don't have to exchange, you know, during visitation or have any other contact. Um, in that situation, I remember that day very well because it was just a few months ago. Um, the situation was my son bought a house. Yeah. And of course, he wanted his mother and father as part of this process. And um, so I, I it, it was a lot. I had to take a lot of deep breaths and go because we are no no contact. But, you know, I just I went and I put on a face for my son. But you know, you saw in that video, I was, I was yeah. clearly nervous. Yeah. I, yeah. I was very shaken because it's hard to be just even in the presence of somebody because that day and even, even many days in, in our marriage, you know, people might see me and say, are you okay? And that happened all the time. Hmm. And you know, I'd say, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm shaken up for whatever reason. And they'd say, well, what happened? The thing yeah. is nothing happened. He was just there. He was just wow. there. It's his looks, the way he glares at me. It's, you know, his, it's like he's disgusted with me yet. I'm the one who tolerated and endured the brunt of all of his issues and the best, all I can say is no contact. It, and there are lots of people who say, oh, I can't. Oh, you can, you can. You just yeah. don't want to. And it's very hard. 
you know, there are people that want to give that person a piece of their mind. There's yeah. no point in it. You're just going to feed into it and start a, an interaction that's going to be unproductive and go nowhere. And it's going to make you angry or hurt you or whatever. And some say, well, I'll just talk to them when I have to. No, look what happened to me. All I did, I didn't even interact with him. I was just there for my son who just bought his first house. All we did was walk through it. His dad went that way. I went that way. No contact, but just being in his presence did that to me. Yeah. It's not yeah. worth it. It's not worth it. Wow. Does this sound familiar to you? I knew you were trouble. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I did. <laughs> so, Dana, I just want to read something. I think this is a bit of a lighter moment. Okay. And I, and the reason why I want to read it is because I'm really intrigued by your writing style. I love it. Oh, thank I think you. It's, I think it's fresh and it's unique. So bear with me a little bit. Okay. On a gloomy November afternoon in 1995, a dark blonde 20-something walked into the apartment complex office where I worked full-time as a leasing agent. In his black leather jacket, blue jeans, and T-shirt, he looked like he'd watched too many episodes of Beverly Hills 9210. I love that. He even mimicked the disinterested expression that Dylan, one of the show's main characters, was known for, adding to the impression that even, even he thought he was too cool, only he wasn't. His crony buddy held disproportionately broad shoulders, which made him look muscular, but the dumpy diaper butt of his jeans <laughs> proved the lack of muscle and tone in the rest of his body. And I could get over that, though I tended towards bad boys. Wow. Don't we all, though? I mean, <laughs> those that like boys. <laughs> wow, wow. That is so unique. Um, well, thank you. Where, where did you, where did you get your writing style from? Is there any writer, uh, <laughs> one, authors that impress you so much that you tend to follow their style, or is it just no? It's just the way that I. One of my professors, actually at DePaul University, one of my writing classes. I remember I was struggling trying to get going on a writing assignment. And I'll never forget this professor telling me, just write like you talk, just mm. say it and then write it. And I have the beautiful fortune of being able to type 90 words a minute. So right. I can type as fast as I think. Yeah. So the my writing style is just me talking. So <laughs> at, at what you're reading in the book is just my perception of it, you know, that, you know, when you're writing, you want to set the scene, you know, what do you see, describe it, all these things. And I'm just calling it like I see it. It's what I would just say to you, you know, and I know I'm a little irreverent and there's a lot of pop culture reference, but I'm just that person that says what it is and I'm not afraid to say it. So yeah. um, that's just how I write it because it's how I talk. It's just who I am. But I appreciate the compliment. I'm told that I can be funny even in very serious situations yes. when the content yes. is not at all uh, humorous. But, yeah. um, you know, at the end of the day, we're just happy to have a, a story out there that is relatable. And, and for even those that aren't interested in the topic of abuse, I, they have found 
enjoyment in it as you know a good read of a toxic relationship i'm told it's exciting it's a page turner <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is it is and as i said before it's it's very unique and it's it's original i really can't see a copy there of anybody's style and so thank, thank you for you. sharing dana we appreciate you so have you been to the summit as yet i i looked at the information and it tells me that you're supposed to appear in a summit have you made that appearance as yet that was um a couple days ago actually ah, yeah. how was that experience for you that was very cool. I was very surprised that I had even been asked to speak in it, um, mm -hmm. but I was so honored um, to be among so many other, you know, survivors. And yeah. I think we tend to, I don't know if it's because we don't want to feel like we've been through this terrible thing. Maybe we're trying to minimize it, but when you hear other people's stories and how horrific, um, their horrific experiences and what they've been through, you do almost sometimes feel like, wow, you know, mine was bad, but it wasn't that bad. But at the end of the day, the thing we all have in common is that the 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 mental and physical symptoms are very similar. So yeah. what we're all trying to heal from and what we're all, you know, trying to teach others to overcome is one and the same. And yeah. and that's, I think, losing yourself. I think when you're in any kind of situation, whether it's simply bullying at, at on a school playground or, be, you know, all the way up to domestic violence, yeah. somewhere in that process of somebody diminishing you in some way, you lose that sense of yourself. And I think the healing process is really about finding your authentic self again, finding your voice and being true to yourself. Because mm -hmm. I think once you get there and you accept what happened to you and you understand it, you know, from a different perspective, maybe you're you come to terms with it and you're able to, you know, move on in your life, you know, and not be a victim of your circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Do not be a victim of your circumstances. I think that's a lesson for much taught. Thank you yes. for sharing, Dana. Thank you for sharing. What does the future look like for Dana S. Diaz? Are there any projects in the yes. works, in the horizon? <laughs> what does it look like? Yes, um, I am ambitious, I guess. <clears throat> I am in the process of publishing two books at the same time wow. because apparently doing one was not challenging enough. Ah. So I am currently in the process of getting the prequel to gasping for air which talks right. about my childhood yeah and then the sequel which talks about my life after that first marriage in which i did remarry but we encountered yes i i i should know trouble when i see it at this point but <laughs> another narcissist uh, in my life wow. yeah i'm a magnet for him um, so I have both of those books. The manuscripts are written, um, but we're going back and forth right now doing revisions and all that good stuff. So I'm hoping they'll be out by next spring. We're going to release them probably within the same time frame, within a few weeks of each other. So, so yeah, so that's exciting. And um, I am set to start a YouTube channel soon. So, you know, in between writing, I might be doing some videos and i'm still podcasting almost every day so 
just uh-huh. mainly trying to get the awareness out there and, and, you know, reach out to people and make sure people have resources and know that they're not alone at the very least. But, yeah. you know, life is, it, it seems boring to me because I'm just standing around in pajama pants, drinking a lot of coffee and <laughs> on the computer all the time, but there's a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give you a little something for that, Dina, and thank you for sharing. Here we go. Yeah, there we go, there we go, there we go. So what's the major form of advice that you really would love to give, and I know you have been doing it, to victims of this kind of abuse? If you had to compartmentalize it in a pocket form, what would you really want to say to victims all over? There's a lot to say. I just mainly want them to understand that they're not alone in this because I know that when you're in the situation, I was there. Believe me, as a child and in my former marriage, I felt completely, utterly alone. Yeah. And, you know, the depression, the anxiety, all the things that come with that, it's an awful, awful feeling. Um, I've never been suicidal, but I have thought that I didn't want to be living my life anymore. Um, yeah. And I know that we have lost people, you know, to that devastating feeling. So um, I just want people to know they're not alone. I, I have people reach out to me all the time. I'm not a doctor or a lawyer. I can't solve your problems. Only you have mm-hmm. the power to do that. But mm-hmm. I just want people to know there is absolutely, absolutely 100% if you're able to get out of your situation safely and you choose to leave your situation, you can have a most beautiful life. Everything that you could imagine wanting, you can have. And and I try to be an example of that because I had no idea, you know, the last domestic violence with my ex-husband was three years ago, three years. That's not that much time. Yeah. But between therapy I have undergone and and I I, I mean, here I am three years later, I am, you know, achieving things. You know, I'm a published author. I never even thought I'd write one book, never mind Mm. three. And, and, you know, the outreach and, and, there's so many resources out there. There's so many people wanting to help. And I know it takes a lot of courage to to get out of a situation, but boy, it's so much better on the other side. Yeah, yeah, it is. Thank you for sharing, Dana. We appreciate your passion and your belief. I just want to ask you a few questions and it probably will not test you much, but you may have a couple of laughs in between. I usually get them. Uh, I want to begin by asking you about food. Okay. And you have a choice. It's one or the other, but you have to say why you chose one. Here we go. Is it ham and cheese or peanut butter and jelly? Oh, peanut butter and jelly. That was quick. (laughs) (laughs) I love peanut butter and jellies. I'm sorry. Those never get old. Wow, wow. I'm like a sweet and salty kind of a person. So I uh-huh. like the, the jelly with the peanut butter, the salty, crunchy peanut yeah, butter specifically. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> wow. So are you into sports? Not really. Not, wow. not a whole lot. No. So then no. this next question wouldn't mean much to you because I was going to ask you about the NFL, 
Sunday night football, the NBA, or is it Sunday night baseball? Uh, but if you're not into sports, really, then you may not even have a choice of one of the three. Yeah, Sunday night, uh, Netflix, <laughs> Hor <laughs> horror movies. That's All what right. I like. Fair I enough. don't do Fair sports. Enough. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Finally, if you had a choice to make with regards to the service that is provided online, would you choose Google or Microsoft? Google. Wow. Why Google? I don't I don't know. I just love Google. <laughs> I'm one of those people that if I don't have it, if I have a question, uh -huh. I Google for an answer. Or if somebody yeah. in a conversation says, oh, I don't know, and I don't know the answer either, I Google it. <laughs> I have to Google everything because yeah. I have to know. All right. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get it. Lena, you have been an amazing guest, a wonderful guest, quite um honest about yourself and your feelings and your emotions. You shared a lot and I'm Thank sure it will be valuable content. Now I'm going to give you the opportunity to share how people can make contact with you. I'm going to help you a bit with that as I have your information Perfect. there. But tell them how they can get your book and maybe some speaking engagements you might have coming up. I don't know. You just share your information with them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as you can see there, yes, the first one is my website, DanaSDS.com. I usually just send people there because you can click onto my Facebook or Instagram directly from the website. The link to buy the book is on my website, or you can just go on Amazon or wherever you buy books online. It's available in ebook or print. Um, I also have a blog on the website. Um, all the podcasts that I've been on that have been released, including this one, will be on the website. Um, so everything is really there. There's also a quiz there to see if you are a victim or mm -hmm. a survivor of domestic yeah. abuse, um, yeah. specifically narcissistic abuse. Um, but yeah, you found me on TikTok. I'm just kind of dabbling in TikTok, but <laughs> we might see more there. But as far as updates, follow and like either Instagram or Facebook or both because I do post content every day. So all the updates, any events I will be um, showing up at or speaking at, uh, book signings, anything at all I have coming up, including updates on my two books that are coming up next year, are all going to be on social media. So definitely follow me there to keep up with uh, everything going on. Thank you so much for sharing, Dana. We appreciate you and we appreciate what you've been doing. And we hope that you would much success as you continue to do your work. We're looking forward to the release of those publications coming up and the people whose lives you are helping to heal as they themselves have been victims of narcissistic abuse and so on. So. Until next time, people, this is Andy of Andy's Personal Development together with my special guest, Dana S. Diaz, saying thank you so much for sharing your time with us. We hope that it has been profitable and valuable for you because of the content shared. Remember our three watchwords, health, happiness, and prosperity. Until next time, we are saying God bless, Godspeed, Shalom, Namaste. Bye for now. See you next time, people. Stay safe and stay in love. <laughs>